Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, George Mason University started life 50 years ago as this pokey little commuter school. And since then, it has evolved into a global institution, one that has helped lure Amazon to the DMV. In a weird way, this evolution actually tracks that of the Virginia suburbs it calls home. And we are talking to GMU's in-house historian about how we got from there to here. It's Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Hey, Bob, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mike. It's good to be here. Whenever I think of the history of George Mason University, it's hard to separate it from the history of the D.C. suburbs. It was founded as a kind of small-time commuter school, and now Northern Virginia is this sort of massive financial business hub, enormous growing population, very diverse, et cetera. I wanted you to walk us through the way this uh, university got started. Sure. In 1949, the president of the University of Virginia, his name was Colgate W. Darden Jr. That's That's an awesome name. He was the governor of Virginia during World War II, and he had this idea that UVA would like to branch out into the Northern Virginia area. It was an underserved area. There was Marymount College, which was a small Catholic girls' school at the time. There were no other higher ed institutions in Northern Virginia. There was Mary Washington in Fredericksburg, But that was a girls' school at the time. So looking at the late 1940s, what was there? I mean, there was obviously there was no orange line you could ride out there. But where George Mason is now, literally, what was there? Well, we weren't here in Fairfax in 1949. Uh, I'll tell you that. The initial campus of what became George Mason College was in Bailey's Crossroads. And it was in an abandoned elementary school called Bailey's Elementary School. The University of Virginia was able to rent that building for $600 a year uh, beginning in 1957. So they opened a two-year college with a total of 17 students. And It was called the University College of the University of Virginia. It remained in Bailey's Crossroads while they found a permanent site, the city of Fairfax. Land acquisition, getting money from the General Assembly to be able to pay for the initial buildings at Fairfax. It it took seven years until we were in Fairfax. And they opened in 1964 to 356 freshmen and sophomores. And when did it get promoted to being a university? Before 66, it was essentially a community college, with the terminal degree being a double A. 
and we became a university in 1972, on April 7th, 1972. So that was then. How many students in 1972? 72, we had about 2,500 okay. students. So it grown some. Tell me about it now. Now there are nearly 40,000 students, of which Mason is one of the most diverse universities, not only in the Commonwealth, but in the country. 53% of our students consider themselves non-white. So one of the things that seems interesting to me about Mason, I mean, and, and why it's interesting, not just to folks who go there or, or live nearby, is its growth has reflected the evolution of the region more generally in terms of what sorts of academics are fronted and the diversity, as you mentioned. Will you talk to me a little bit about that? What is it, its strongest areas? And, and it- Right. Obviously, government and policy, information technology, engineering. When you look out at our campus in Manassas called Science and Technology Campus, biomedical. But also, we have a law school, the Jimmy and Rosalind Carter School of Conflict Analysis and Resolution. So people come to George Mason for a variety of reasons. And I often ask people, well, why did you come here? I grew up in this area. George Mason was convenient for me, and that's why I went to school here. But people will say, well, you're close to Washington. You have a government and policy program. You have the Shar School. I'm coming here for conflict analysis and resolution studies. So there's a number of things that George Mason has that you can't necessarily find everywhere, plus our location, our our access to D.C. So how'd this happen? What drove this? I mean, laying out the demand side, but things don't just grow like that by accident. A lot of what we call now the modern George Mason was really instituted by President George W. Johnson, who came here in 1978, okay? When he got here, one of the things he told us was, I got here and the place was very green. There wasn't a lot of things happening here. Mason hadn't distinguished itself. And so I thought it was time for George Mason to develop its own kind of institutional image. So he was the one that encouraged, you know, to get into the IT sector. Of course, the Dulles corridor was developing during that time. So so George Johnson connected with those folks. He got in the Chamber of Commerce. He started his own board of advisors and folks who, who were involved in the IT field to kind of in each other's interests. Uh, Some of the folks who, when we developed an IT program here in the uh, early 1980s, some of the faculty members were also employed in some of these high-tech companies. So we worked together a lot with the high-tech community and with the business community. Well, right. Those those names on some of your buildings and on some of your schools also would suggest that in the meantime, this this Washington region also got rich or generated enough wealth that it had it had people who were able to endow things. And they want to gather some some like local boosters to help turn their place into something more prestigious. Exactly. The main thing that, that Johnson wanted was that we had our own image, that it was uniquely Northern Virginia. Um, one of the first things he, he, he told us, one of the first things he noticed when he got here is this place had the unique smell of UVA about it, even though we had become <laughs> we had become independent five years earlier. 
and he wanted to make sure that 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 George Mason had its own identity, and he had some i he had various areas that he thought that Northern Virginia that would unite Northern Virginians around George Mason, for example, performing arts, athletics, high tech. There were things that folks in this area could unite around and and kind of form a base for George Mason. Politics, political science or government and policy, these are all areas, sectors that we created programs at George Mason to, to kind of further our place and solidify our place in the area and in those disciplines. You know, let's not do what UVA does or what other colleges do. Let's do what we do and let's do it well. And it's so funny we think of colleges as these like, you know, age old things where t- traditions are handed down from generations. But in your case, you're talking about stuff that was invented uh, with the, within the memories of people who may even still be working there. Exactly. If you think about traditional university disciplines, you really don't think of, you know, information technology and engineering in that way or or conflict analysis and resolution. There are only so many conflict analysis schools around. One of the other things that's sort of interesting at GMU is uh, it's become something of a center of right-wing thought. The, the, the namesake of the law school is Justice Scalia. Tell me the name of that law school again. It is the Antonin Scalia School of Law. And and the Mercatus Center, which is a, yeah. a kind of libertarian-oriented uh, economic think tank. Um, how'd that happen? I actually interviewed, did an interview with the former dean of the law school. And he would have explained it sort of that just that things evolved that way. Some schools are right-wing and some schools are left-wing or right-leaning or, or left-leaning. My personal guess is that when we acquired the law school, it was a, a law school called the International School of Law, and they were having a hard time getting accreditation from the American Bar Association just because they didn't have the facilities that were required, and they didn't have some of the infrastructure that was required for accreditation. This is something that George Mason could provide if they merged with us. But the school itself was a Christian-based law school. So I don't know if there's any, any, any connection to that or not. But, you know, if you were to ask our president, Greg Washington, he would tell you that, you know, George Mason itself is kind of a reflection on George Mason in terms of we run the gamut. You know, where can you find, where can you find, for example, the Jimmy and Rosalind Carter School of Conflict Resolution right next to the Antonin Scalia School of Law. So it's like, you know, we, we cover all areas of the spectrum. So you have, have been taking part in this 50th anniversary commemorations that, that you all have had. You're the archivist. What are some fun things that stand out to you? Fun things that stand out. Well, we've done an exhibit uh, in our exhibit space up in Fenwick Library, and it has over 100 items that cover the years 1957 to, uh, to 2022. So you have things, for example, in the exhibit, George Mason, when it was part of UVA, originally our school colors were blue and orange. So we have a blue sweatshirt, like a champion type sweatshirt that says George Mason College with the University of Virginia seal. In 1965, the George Mason College student body 
decide to change the colors to green and gold. And that's why yeah. we're green and gold now. So we have, right next to that, we have the sweatshirt from the year later <laughs> where it says George right. Mason College and it's green and gold. Wait, so they changed the colors because they didn't want to have the same as UVA? I suspect so. All I, all I know from the records are that it was advertised in the school uh, newspaper, which was called the Gunston Ledger, and that they said, we want to choose our colors, come out and vote. And they voted. And, and it's interesting because people who were involved in that, in that uh, selection said that none of the, you know, for the most part, none of the colors that were offered were exactly what they wanted, but they voted against the colors of their rival high schools in Northern Virginia. That's how green and gold won out because more people wanted green and gold than the state wanted red, white, and blue, for example. So do you have like a favorite piece or, or factoid from your time? Favorite piece? Oh, man. Yes. Actually, my favorite piece, and this piece is really large, so we don't have it in the exhibit, but it is a 12-foot long scroll of paper that is a petition but from the student government to the then chancellor of George Mason College to allow faculty, students, and staff to take part in the uh, moratorium against the Vietnam War in October of 1969. So they were, they wanted time off school? or They wanted unexcused absence from school because I think it was a Friday. Um, it was definitely a weekday. And they, wanted, they also wanted faculty and staff to be off too. So they put this large roll of paper, and it's about maybe 24 inches wide and 12 feet long, outside one of the buildings and they put a they put a, a a coffee can full of pens next to it and at the top it said you know we the undersigned would like to get you know blah 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 and over 600 people signed it and at the time there were really only about um, on campus students faculty and staff around 1500 people so it represented all, a little less than half of the school signed this petition the petition was then rolled up and then presented to the chancellor in his office and it was photographed in the school newspaper and the chancellor looked and then he came out with a a letter or some kind of communication said, no, I can't let you do that. I can't let you, any, anyone who skips school on that day, no matter what the cause is, it's an unapproved absence. And apparently half the people skip school anyway. But anyway, you would think that this large roll of paper, he probably would have thrown it in the trash or something like that or gotten rid of it. Somehow, I, and I don't know how it got here, somehow it ended up in, in, in the library and in our office. And I, I found it really myself only about five years ago. Wow. So it is my favorite because there, it, there's a lot of history right there in that one piece. And there is the, the student newspaper article from that time, actually with the picture of it hanging on the wall. And the picture of of this of the student government rep presenting it to the chancellor, and then here's the actual thing right here in the office. So that's um, that's really probably my favorite piece. You got anything? Uh, you got any special celebrations planned for the fiftieth anniversary? Uh, wow. Well, we've done a lot this year, beginning actually even before April seventh. At the end of the year. Uh, we have amassed a bunch of things to put into a time capsule, uh, 
There are, you know, contemporary um, uh, publications. Uh, I think there are some, um, I think there might be like a mask from COVID, <laughs> you know, uh, things like that that are kind of reminiscent, reminiscent of what's going on now and, and over the past couple of years. And then we're going to, at the end of the year, we're going to seal that up and we're going to store it in the archives not to be opened until, you know, 50 years from now. Thanks for coming. Okay. Yeah, it, it was my pleasure. If there's one thing I'd like to talk about, it's the history of the university. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. And before you go, audio producer Julia Karen is here with some quick news. D.C. Council concluded its final legislative session of the year yesterday, and who boy, they did all of the things, like approving new employee protections for domestic workers, finalizing the plan to make Metrobus free soon, and agreeing to dissolve the D.C. Housing Authority's board and replace it with a smaller one. It's also worth noting that this was both Mary Che and Alyssa Silverman's last sessions because neither of them is on the council next year. Meanwhile, Arlington has adopted ranked choice voting for its county board primary in June. That means voters will select candidates in order of preference, and the one with the most first choice votes is going to win. If no one wins outright on the first ballot, then the least popular candidate is eliminated, and the ballots are retallied until there's a majority winner. Arlington is the first locality in Virginia to try this, but don't get too excited quite yet. This is just a trial run. And lastly, the City Winery in Ivy City is going to close shop at the end of the year because of safety concerns, and they're going to plan to relocate to another D.C. location. The owner says that customers have been attacked and there have been cars that have been broken into, which makes it hard to attract customers. Locals have criticized this characterization of the neighborhood, saying that it might be a cop-out that's covering bad business decisions or internal issues. That is all for today here on CityCast DC. I'm Michael Schaefer from Politico. If you enjoyed the show, talk about it with the student in your life. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.